The acronyms DEI or DEIB and the words diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging are buzzwords in how we run our businesses today. And more importantly, the conversation is around how we can work actively with these concepts each and every day in our businesses and in our private lives. Part of this is understanding how culture influences the way we act and react. Seema Jain is here with me today to tell us ways we can train our cultural intelligence muscle and bring people closer together, elevating that sense of belonging in our communities. Welcome to the Thriving Community Show, bringing you proven tactics and actionable advice from leading experts and community professionals. We talk about how to create a successful membership business. I'm your host, Philippa Yilstrom. With me here today, I have Seema Jain, founder of Saver Global. Seema started out her journey working with cultural understanding when she launched a Culture Day program for Marriott International in 2014. She designed it to be an innovative program to help market teams be more culturally competent when working with multicultural guests. The Culture Day program grew from seven to 35 presentations per year with a library of content for 14 different cultures. And Seema was traveling all over the world to help others lead with a global mindset. Seema and her growing team presented to all 30 brands across all hotel departments. They helped generate 15 to $20 million in sales performance and received numerous media coverage highlights, including the Washington Post and CBS Evening News. Due to the pandemic, Seema was furloughed, and it was then she realized she could be sharing her knowledge with other companies and industries around the world. So she founded Saver Global to help organizations become more culturally competent because this competency not only drives your bottom line results, but is key to understanding the differences that make a difference. And today, She's going to be talking to us about cultural intelligence and how to build unity through culture, an essential topic for our communities as our world is becoming increasingly attuned to the importance of inclusion and diversity. Welcome, Seema. Thank you, Philippa, for that lovely introduction. It is wonderful to be with you today. Thank you. So I'm curious, how did you start working with cultural competency? Well, um, it's a unique story, Philippa, and I'd love to share a little bit about my background. So I am a first-generation Indian born here in the USA. My parents came to the country in the 60s, and my father had come here to be a business major. He did his MBA, PhD in finance, and later became a professor in the business school. Well, fast forward, and my turn is going to college. I asked my father, what, what should I do? And he said to me, you can be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, or a business person. Back in my time, I didn't have any choices except to be a professional. His philosophy was that if you're a professional, you might have financial security, and that's what they wanted for their children. So I told my father, I'm going to follow your footsteps. I'm going to go into the business school. He said, terrific. You have great choices, accounting or finance. Again, 
limited, but this is what you do as a good daughter. You please your parents. So I took the finance path. Now, in my early years of a career coming out of college, I did discounted cash flow models, pro formas, analyzed physical therapy centers of which ones to buy, a very different lifestyle. However, in 1995, my father and mother decided to purchase some hotels. Just a fun fact for you that in the USA, several and many of the hotels, over 50% are owned by Indians. So same as many of our franchises like Dunkin' Donuts or Baskin Robbins, Subways. So my father got into the hotel industry and I thought to myself, oh boy, he's going to make me want to do something with these one day. I don't even know what any of the acronyms in how to run this business. So I took my hand into sales. Honestly, Philippa, it was so much sexier than number crunching. And I thought with my personality that sales might be a little bit more fun. So I approached a nearby Marriott Hotel. It was a resort and I decided to do corporate sales for them. And this was 2006. Unfortunately, in the United States and probably globally, we had a little bit of a recession going on in 2008. Now, as a salesperson, how am I going to make my numbers in a recession year? Think about it. We struggled in the pandemic. We might be having another recession coming. We have to think out of the box. I found a group of ethnic travelers staying at a nearby competitive hotel. And I asked my general manager of my hotel, Carolina, I want those travelers to be at our hotel. Will you help me? She goes, sure. What should I do? I said, I think we need to put some ethnic breakfast on our menu because after time, people miss their foods, right? Philip, if you've traveled around the world, you know that after a few days, you start to miss your comfort foods. So no matter how exciting it is for the first five or six days, after a couple of months, you enjoy your comfort foods. So we did that. We put ethnic TV stations in the room for them to enjoy the sports of their choice or news in their language. We did things to appeal to their cultural needs. Now, mind you, my hotel was not renovated. It was very old and it was seven miles from their office. The new shiny hotel they stayed in was only a half a mile. However, you should never, ever let these obstacles come in your way. So we took the cultural competency route and my lovely general manager, who was a Polish woman, I'm an Indian woman working for a company that started by Mormons. That's a multicultural story right in itself. She did everything I asked her to, including amenities in the room that were fusioned with ethnic foods and local food. So we combined the cultures, made make everyone feel good. Slowly, the group started moving to our hotel. That's amazing. It's amazing, right? Yeah, I know this is an amazing story. And it's just like, wow, I'm thinking again. It's like, what sort of, what sort of things were on the breakfast menu? I want to know. <laughs> so some of the traditional items that were there were boha, upma. These are traditional Indian items. Um, we did Indian TV stations. We had Bollywood nights for the guests. We took them to Indian restaurants. We really took care of them on a cultural level. And what we learned, Philippa, is that the cultural needs outweighed even the shiny new hotel. So these groups would come. And because, as you know, in ethnic cultures, marketing is all done by word of mouth. So once one group started to come, they told all their friends. I invested maybe we, you know, $37,000 in this hotel. And our revenue was probably over $700,000. Now, it's not because of my group only. It's because of the fact that other groups started following when the buzz got around that this hotel knew how to take care of an Indian guest. Now, you might be thinking, well, Seema, you're Indian. It makes sense. 
But then we replicated the same recipe for Chinese guests, Japanese guests, and that's how we built the library up to 14 cultures. So the recipe was exactly the same. Ethnic foods appeal, ethnic TV stations, translated materials, so many things you can do over and over, but just appealing to that culture. So that story went to corporate. Corporate created a job for me and said, hey, what you did for that hotel, can you now do it for all 4,000 hotels at that time in 2008? So I started my career in 2012 with Marriott headquarters and started the program of Culture Day in 2014. And from then it grew and grew. So it was terrific. Your time and attention are two of your most precious assets. So I'm honored you are using these here with me by listening to The Thriving Community Show. I'm Philippa Yilstrom, your host, advising business owners how to build successful memberships to earn recurring revenue and drive business growth. If you too want the competitive advantage and steady cash flow that building a membership can offer, then head over to my website, philippagillstrom.com. And yes, there are a number of ways to spell Philippa, and my last name is Swedish, so let me spell that for you. P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-G-I-L-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. Let's connect and have a conversation. Amazing, amazing. And like, and I was thinking, so so that that one hotel became like a real sort of international hub, I guess, that that first hotel, you know, Indians and like you said, Chinese and, and different sort of cultures. So, you know, it became like um an events place as well. And and a home from home, I'm thinking as well, you know, more than a hotel, because you were giving them their comfort food and and the things that they they really really love and miss it must have been such a relief and a pleasant surprise for them as well to discover that these things were were there for them right and actually Philippa the general manager was extremely key in this whole thing because without her buy-in or her understanding it wouldn't have happened right I work with so many general managers but there are certain ones that really get it they're passionate And because she was an immigrant herself, she understood. She understood. So I tell people, you know, think of yourself going to another country and the experiences you have wherever you travel, whether it be in Africa, Latin America, Middle East, Asia. After a few days, you know, you're going to enjoy congee porridge, but then you might miss your bacon and scrambled eggs and, you know, whatever foods you like. So making it mindful that they might like variety. And here's the funny part, Philippa, whenever we did put Indian food, it was the non-Indians who ate it first because they thought this is so great. It's so different. And they enjoyed it themselves. So variety is always welcome. And I tell people, think of United Nations. Make sure your condiments when you're at the hotel are everything from Nutella to soy sauce, mayonnaise, ketchup, you know, different things from around the world because you don't know what people like to eat, you know, with their food. So keep everything. That's a really, really good tip. And I'm also thinking as well, you were then going to be working with these, you know, 4,000 different hotels around the world. And like you said, the the general manager is, is key to the success of integrating this cultural competency in into the hotel. And you said it was easier because this particular manager came from Poland, was an immigrant herself. So, so she was closer to understanding what that really could mean 
how how were you able then to help people that weren't didn't have that that advantage in some ways that that extra understanding did you find ways of of I guess there must have been some sort of more resistance sometimes, and therefore you would have to find ways of helping these people to to understand this. So what what were you doing? So that's a great question. So most of my program was generated by market demand. So they would call me when they were ready. Um, I didn't have to do a lot of pushing. At the end of my career with Marriott, they were coming to us saying, yes, this was something we're interested in. We are seeing an influx of Middle Eastern travelers now coming because a new flight pattern is coming from Dubai to Dallas or something like that. So because of needs, then they would approach me. Or we're seeing a larger percentage of bar mitzvahs coming to our hotel. Or we're seeing a need for Chinese business travelers or Brazilian leisure travelers coming. So as they see the needs, they can approach me and they would say, we'd like to learn about these cultures because we do know that we can do better. Now, the entire program ironically started with Indian weddings, Philippa, and I don't know if you've ever been to one, but they're quite extravagant. And in USA itself, the average cost of a wedding could be $250,000 when all said and done. So with that kind of money, hotels were interested in learning how do we get to this market because it's almost like a mini corporate event. We have high room nights. We have many events, a large number of headcount. My wedding was kind of small. It was only 400 people. Imagine that. And it was about four or five events in the whole thing. So it started with that and then grew to other cultures as people realized. The key to my success was I kept a solid program with a standard curriculum where we did an overview of a country, never assume everybody knows where everything is, business protocols, social protocols, customs, holidays, foods, and then best practices were shared of other companies doing things, and then also sales and marketing strategies. So now that you've learned everything, what do we do? Right. Okay. That was really good. So you gave them the knowledge and then and then applied it to their particular situation, their hotel, where they were. It's also really, really interesting as well that you, I guess, again, uh, yeah, I was going to say that it was interesting that people come to you when they have a need. And, and you also had a need when you first started doing something like this, but it wasn't because you started having people from the Middle East coming or because of a different flight pattern. It was because you were going to be struggling to get any guests at all because it was a recession. So it's interesting, isn't it? How when we have a need, we then create something out of it. And so I'm curious, when you're working with Saver today, are you working from the sort of people coming to you because they have a need? Or do you also get to work as an a um, more, let's provide you with that cultural competency before you need it? It's both. It's you have proactive and reactive, right? So the ones who are proactive are, um, so I was with a major airline last week. They had me come out to the worldwide presentations and do some breakouts in a more proactive form, right? How do you grow your business by being culturally smart? I've also had clients come to me where they've had a situation and they need to, not a crisis, I would say, but a situation where they needed a little help in helping their teams be more aware of that culture in order to serve those guests better. So we get both. But the beauty now was almost two years, August will be our two-year anniversary. We're now booming into other industries. So telecommunications, airlines, real estate, financial institutions, um, hopefully getting into healthcare a little bit more this year. 
But the point is that the knowledge of cultural competency is very transferable. Everybody needs it, whether it's your HR teams, aligning it with your DNI efforts, diversity, inclusion, and um, equity efforts, or they're trying to help their sales team understand how to drive the revenue. Could be operations that the people at the, you know, at the banquets or in the events who are actually executing. So there's so many departments. Organically, a new one that came on my plate this year is a lot of hotel companies have a lodging development team where if many of the owners are Indian, right? Like I told you, my parents have a few hotels. Isn't it good to understand who we are as people so that you can serve and elevate your relationships better? So that's something that I've been doing also recently is working with hotel lodging teams because their pipeline is needing to get full, right? Do I pick this brand? Do I pick this brand? So helping them see what they can do. Here's the trick. I can teach you everything. I can tell you, but what you do with it is up to you, right? You have to make a plan afterwards. Or I sit with you and help you put a plan together to make sure that it gets accountable, executed, and a strategy is put together as well. So there's a lot of things that happen organically because of a need that someone saw like, wow, we're attending this and we need some help here. So I love that it's just coming together in the right way, in an organic way. And that's what I love about the program. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and I'm also thinking you've started to give us some examples about how cultural awareness leads to achieving these as a business goals. Can you help us as well to sort of see some other ways that it's actually helping? Um, I'm thinking because we're talking about community here as well and, and people building community. So how, how is that going to affect then the companies that have these communities and about them achieving their business goals? Absolutely. So the beauty of cultural competency, it definitely has a direct business impact. Whether you look at it from a corporate angle or market angle, we are working in it together. So for example, on the corporate side, your HR teams are always looking for good talent, right? They're they're out there to get the best talent. Well, one fun fact in the USA is that the next workforce, the Gen Z, that is going to be 50% people of color. So if we're not understanding their backgrounds, they may not want to work for your company. I have a daughter who's 21, 24-year-old son and a 26-year-old daughter. They're perfect for me to test things. And what I notice is when I went to look for a job 30 years ago, it was all about salary and benefits. That was it. What the new generation is looking for is which companies are doing it right, which ones have a purpose, which ones are community-focused, which ones have good DNI efforts, corporate social responsibility, social impact, cultural competency. They're looking at things differently. They're looking at a company for its entire holistic self, not just a salary and a benefit. So these new generation, if we want to attract that talent, that's a big business impact, right? It involves knowing who we are in the community as well. From the market or the market angle, it's my story, how it drives sales, how it's going to be important to know that if I have a customer who is of a Japanese background, do I understand that person in a holistic way? Do I understand that maybe they're going to want to do the contract differently, negotiating differently? Things are different. Are they transactional? Are they relationship building culture? How do they like to communicate? I need to learn how they want to be treated. It's not about me, which is sometimes a hard concept in USA, which is a little bit more of an ethnocentric culture. So I have to look at each client, learn who they are, what they like, not just from a business lens, but from a cultural lens as well. 
So translating this into the community then and thinking, if you want your community to attract different you know, be diverse, then you want to be really competent yourself and actually know what language to use and, and, you know, perhaps what food to talk about so that everybody feels really welcome that, yeah, Gen Z are not going to choose your community if they don't feel that you are working actively with diversity and equity and inclusion, that they're going to be a lot more picky than than you and I at our age that were more focused on, like you say, getting a salary, <laughs> getting a bonus. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and the other thing is also, I tell people, and if you looked at one of my LinkedIn posts from a couple of weeks ago, it was about the Asian American Pacific Islander, which is a heritage month in USA, but it gives tips, right? So people are like, well, what can I do to be culturally competent? What, what can I do today? The number one thing you can do today to increase your cultural literacy is read books of different authors, not just authors that are look like you, but authors of different backgrounds. Watch movies of different directors. Um, we finally got to see the Korean movie Minari, which was an Oscar-nominated movie. Loved it. You learn a little bit about a culture by watching different movies. Do podcasts. There's so many podcasts now of different cultures. You eat foods of different cultures. Take a friend out. I have a Vietnamese friend and I might say, hey, I'd like to try pho. Can you take me to your favorite Vietnamese establishment? Where would you like to go? And you learn and you have a conversation. There are so many things you can do today that don't cost a lot of money, that don't break your budget, but that help you increase your cultural intelligence every day. Some people call it cultural fluency, cultural competency, or CQ, cultural quotient. So there are many words we can use, but talk, it's, I always told my children when they grow up, make sure that your friends don't all look like you. Have a diverse friend circle. You will learn more. It will help you when you go out in the world to lead with that global mindset. If your mentors are different looking than you, are different ages, different ethnicities. So keep that in mind as you build your network as well. That is really, really good advice. And I love that as well. The idea of us basically being very open and curious and, and, and creating opportunities for ourselves to discover more. And yeah, wow. I'm also thinking as well, you must have so many stories now that you've been working with all these different companies. What Do you actually have a favorite cultural competency story that you could share with us today where we can learn a little bit more about the how to become culturally competent? Absolutely. So yes, I have lots of great stories and I can be a storyteller, but today I'll share one of my favorite ones was at International. My boss and I had gone to Tokyo and we were going to do a culture day over there. And the requested cultures that they asked us was India, China, and USA. So we did India in the morning, had a Chinese lunch and did the USA in the afternoon. Now, when you do your own culture to somebody who doesn't know your culture well, it's very eye-opening to look at yourself in the mirror and say, wow, we really are like that, right? We are hurried, we eat on the run, lots of things. I'll tell you, Philip, but the funniest thing was we had a coffee break, right? Because we're in hospitality, there's always food and coffee break. And in that coffee break was 24-ounce Pepsi cups, eight different desserts, all supersized, right? Muffins that were like, you know, large, totally not designed for one, but it is the supersized culture. My boss and I could not stop laughing because I'm like, oh my God, that really is who we are. And that is how the world sees us. 
And I had to take pictures, send them back to headquarters. I said, this was probably a very good representation. You go to any bakery, there's never little small things. You know, it's always very large muffins, very large scones. Everything is for two or three people, but not a single serving. So from an Asian lens, everything looks very big. When my relatives come from India to this country, they're like, um, we will have coffee, but in one third the cup that you have, because they're not used to our sizes. Even the small is too big for them, right? So they're a little overwhelmed with the portion sizes where Europe, Asian countries are a little bit smaller and actually probably more appropriate for what you should be eating. So that story of the supersized eight different cheesecake, cookies, you name it, muffins was put out. I will never forget that image on that coffee break um, when I was teaching USA Culture Day to my Japanese colleagues. So it was uh, it was quite enter- entertaining, enlightening, and a self-reflection of who we are. Exactly. And we are recording this today. And as it happens, I am visiting the United States from Sweden. And, and literally these last few weeks, I keep going, do you have any like normal size portions? I know. <laughs> I know. I know. How do you eat this? (laughs) You know what I do? Can I tell you what I do? As a single business traveler, if I go to a restaurant, I see the portions are too big. I actually tell them, please give me a half portion or a kid's portion. Charge me the full if you have to, but don't waste it. I don't want to waste it. And in my culture, wastage is a sin. So I don't want to be responsible. You can give it to somebody in the back of the house, do whatever. But where am I going? I'm not going home. I'm going to a hotel room, right? I can't save the food on top of that. But yes, I'm actually, uh, uh, you know, I work with restaurants and things. And I keep saying it'd be just great if you had two sizes, you know, just maybe a regular and a large, because some days you might have family style and you want the large, but sometimes you're a single person and you just need a small because you can't eat everything. So when they come to that, it will be a great game changer, I think, in our society. So that Japanese story definitely sits with me. And um, one thing I'd also like to share with you is an acronym I created. When we work with people of different backgrounds, Philippa, the the acronym is EARTH, staying grounded to EARTH. And E stands for empathy. If anything, the COVID and pandemic has taught us is to be empathetic to people as we don't know their situations and we don't want to judge. If they have children, they have to take care of. They have aging parents they have to take care of. We don't know, but we try to be empathetic to everyone's situation. The A is authenticity. I am still going to make mistakes with somebody and have a faux pas. I'm a human. It's unavoidable. Okay. But if you speak with an authentic heart, 99% of people will forgive you. Yes. I love that. Yeah. R is respect. We talked about respecting the differences that make a difference, realizing that not everybody around the world thinks the same. So for example, my meeting planner had gone to Spain. And when she came back, I said, Mary, how was your meeting? Did you trust? Oh, yeah, the hotel was great. Everything was terrific. Wonderful. Except all the children were running around at 10 o'clock at night. And I said, so what's the problem? She says, well, they should be in bed. And I said, according to whom? She goes, I said, you're right. According to an American culture, people put their children to bed before, you know, it gets to be dark. But in other cultures, Latino cultures, even in India, kids can stay up later because they start later. The the heat and the climate can dictate different ways of patterns. So we shouldn't judge someone. They probably come to USA and think, oh my God, why do you put your children to bed so soon? Right? It's dinner time. Why you put so let's look from other lenses and respect the differences. The T treatment. 
We treat others the way they want to be treated, not the way I want to be treated, because there is a difference and we need to be mindful. If they are maybe from Brazil and they like to build a relationship before they sign a contract, well, guess what? We're going to have a three-hour lunch, get to know each other, get to know our families before we get into that business side. So we have to know about how they want to be treated. And the final one, which is my personal favorite, is humility being humble, that resonates with every culture across the world. Staying humble. I might be the best. I might be the largest. I might be the fastest, but it's okay to appreciate someone saying, I know that you have choices, whether it's an airline, in hotel, whatever industry, but I appreciate you for being loyal to us. It's okay to be humble, appreciative, and downplay things. So these are E-A-R-T-H. If you reverse the letters and decode it another way, it's also heart, H-E-A-R-T. So however you'd like to look at it, these are the five things I live by that I work to strive every day. And I'm always improving myself too. I'm not perfect and I am going to learn every day. Oh, and I can see this as a beautiful strategy that people can use and incorporate into their community rules and guidelines as well. As I use this acronym that you've created, empathy or authenticity, respect, treatment and humility or heart, as you say, earth and heart. I love that. Wow. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of people updating their, their community guidelines now based around this because it, it's great. It's, it's a, a great way as well to, to talk about it, to actually sort of relate to these. And, and, and it's allowing us to be human and make mistakes and get messy because I think a lot of the time as well, we, we are afraid to enter into conversations or we're very afraid that we're going to screw things up and, and, and therefore don't actually have a conversation about it as well. And one thing I'm also thinking as well, again, is... Is, is for us to imagine what it would be like to do a cultural day about our own culture, to learn something more about ourselves in just the same way as you, you were met with these huge desserts and lots of Pepsi Cola for, your, for the coffee break in the afternoon. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Dima. It's been glorious talking to you. Lots of ideas here about how, and this is what I find so interesting and so useful, is how do we get culturally competent? So we now know we're going to be watching films, reading books, going out with our friends to their favorite restaurant, learning about what they love to eat, and being courageous enough to talk about it and and to know that I could make a mistake as well. So thank you so much, Seema, for this. Now, if people want to get in contact with you and find out more, where do they do that? Absolutely. So I am active on LinkedIn, so they can definitely connect with me there, or they can go to my website, which is seva-global.com. So they can visit all of my information is there. My blogs, my newsletters are on there, companies I work with, my services, the speaking engagements that I can help them with. So if they're having a meeting and they're looking for a diverse speaker who is interested in this topic, that's what I'm there for them. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Seema, for today. I'm very, very sure that people are going to want to find out more about you and your company and get help in in becoming more culturally intelligent and competent. So important for us and our communities today. Thank you very much for joining me here. Of course. My pleasure, Philippa. And thank you. It was an honor to be on your show today. Thank you. And that wraps up another broadcast of The Thriving Community Show brought to you by InfoStack, 
the number one discount bundle site on the internet, helping you get hold of premium collections of tools, training and resources so you can achieve your goals while saving up to 99% off the retail price. And that, my friends, seems like a pretty good deal to me. Find out more at infostack.io. Remember too that when you buy from Infostack for the first time, use the special discount only you get for being a thriving community show listener. Click on the link on the podcast episode page. And when you check out, you will get 10% off your first purchase. The bundles they put together are already ridiculously cheap. And now you get another 10% off. Be sure to head over to infostack.io. They release about two new bundles a month and have the occasional flash sale too. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a raving review and share what you learned. It really helps to spread the word about this podcast so more businesses and entrepreneurs can use the power of community and create greater impact in the world. And finally, if you need help building and growing your community and membership site and earning recurring revenue so you can spend your time on what matters most to you, head on over to philippagillstrom.com. Let's have a chat and uncover what you can create moving forward. That's it for this episode. Breathe in deeply. Pause for a second. And now go be fabulous you.